As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. I'm Robert Venditti, the writer of Exo Man of War and Green Lantern, and you're listening to Nerdy Show. Welcome to Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. And I'm Tony. And we've got a heck of a show for you right now. Heck of a show, Cap. It's a heck of a show. You are listening to the show that is a heck of a show because we're interviewing Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti. Those the, names sound familiar, Cap. What do they do? Well, they're they're the guys behind Young Justice, the greatest Whoa. DC animated television series Shy of Batman, the animated series. That, I would almost really, say the greatest thing that DC's done for a little while it, now. It is, it is the, the greatest DC-related thing in recent memory, including the comic books. Yes, that's, that's my personal opinion. Take it up with me on the forums if you want to, but I'll fight you. Shots fired, cross the bow. <laughs> anyway, we, suffice it to say, we love Young Justice. We've talked about it on the show many times in the past. At it was, length, Hex had his whole like Korra versus Young Justice yeah, thing on yeah, Tumblr for yeah. a little while. Uh, and and a, fan, a fan requested two thumbs, uh, one of the Nerdy Show's listeners. Uh, he he actually requested that Hex put together a, a microsode. A microsode. I was on it. that microsode, in yeah, fact. So was I. <laughs> How about that? Um, the only person we're just, missing is Hex. Empty the, chair. The two uh, show, I guess, uh, for listeners, the two shows were kind of running back to back. Yeah, for, for a a while for a there. while so it was like which which of these two awesome dramatic animated series had the best episode of the week it was really kind of arbitrary but you know it was fun yeah um so yeah young justice for those who are not familiar with the series uh essentially it's a show about the teenagers of the dc the sidekicks yeah the sidekicks at first the sidekicks anyway yeah. of the dc universe leading a relatively covert team of heroes as sort of a a, a backup to all the things the justice league are dealing with and also in turn uh, dealing with all kinds of uh, teenagery stuff, but in a fascinating, uh, not Degrassi whiny kind of way. You do have some Degrassi whiny characters, but they're handled in a realistic and entertaining You'd, factor. Basically, you enjoy them and you don't hate them, which yeah, is which because, is I mean, hard to do it, with kid characters. Superboy's just angry all the time. He just he really is. But I would be too if I was grown in a vat and came out a full grown whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that puberty's hard enough to. Then you got to go through like your toddler years too. It was yeah, all at the same time. That's no good, man. Not at all. No, no good. What is good? 
the entire body of work of both of the people we're about to talk to today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if if you guys are only now learning about these guys and aren't familiar or are only familiar with them from, Je- from Young Justice, wow. Okay, so uh, Let's, let, let, uh, can I can I do the Greg Wiseman? Let me let do, me give you guys Tony do both of them. Oh my goodness! Then the Greg Wiseman hit list of things you need to know about Greg Wiseman: Spectacular Spider-Man. I know a little bit quiet, but it's still awesome. Gargoyles is incredible. Gargoyles. Yeah. If you have not watched Gargoyles, a series from the early mid '90s, it is really one of the high watermarks of dramatic animated television of all time and kind of started it in a way. I mean, it's th- there even, was it's stuff before, but it's this brilliant mix of fantasy sci-fi and Keith David's voice just washing over you over and over again. Yeah. It, it, and it had Riker or Xanatos. That's just, well, it, it, had, it had most of the cast of the next generation in and one way, Frakes directed a couple of episodes because that's what he was doing. Well, basically, uh, Gargoyles is a really cool show and you should totally watch it and you should totally read the comics if you can find them and uh have a good time and if you're a star wars speculation fan like yeah, the rest of us if I you're mean, listening it's not like we have state of the empire or anything or star wars speculation <laughs> podcast yeah there's i mean the state of star wars as we all know has been kind of kind of up in the air we're all kind of like mm-hmm, maybe kind of uh. the thing that everybody's excited about is greg wiseman who has a long laundry list history of tightly woven very well constructed shows is the showrunner on the new Star Wars Rebels. Along with Dave Filoni. Along with Dave Filoni, but I mean, Greg, Wars. Greg, Greg Wiseman being attached to it is excellent. It is the one thing that I know I can count on in all of the forthcoming Star Wars gook. Now that Michael Arndt's not writing anymore. Anyway, this, that's a State of the Empire discussion. If you want to hear us talk about Star Wars, we have a whole series dedicated to that. Go to nerdyshow.com slash nerdyshow and click the State of the Empire button. You'll, you'll be fine. Anyway, uh, so, and Brandon Vietti. Brandon Vietti, a lot of great stuff that he's done. Most recently, especially with the Warner Brothers DCU, uh, he did the Batman, which was a big departure from the animated series, but was very strong in its own right. The critically acclaimed, absolutely hilarious, one of my personal favorite Batman things to come out in a long time, Batman Brave and the Bold, and then quite possibly the greatest DC animated film that has yet come out, Batman Under the Red Hood, which takes the story of Jason Todd and fixes it in a way that makes more sense in the Batman universe instead of Superboy Prime punching the universe and that somehow making Jason Todd a zombie. So, well, I mean, that. J- Jason Todd is kind of a shit. So it does make sense that if Superboy Prime punched the universe, it would fart Jason Todd back out. <laughs> that uh, would make <laughs> sense. But this also kind of justifies the Jason Todd character in a way that he has come back again. He has gained relevance thanks to his popularity from this movie no it's true it's it's one of well it's really super important that movie is really super important to just the whole timeline of dc universe any kind of anything right now yeah uh the reason we're here the reason we're talking about young justice is that young justice though it was egregiously canceled before its time bastards uh, yeah we've we have we have moaned on and on about this and on we've moaned constructively yes granted we've moaned very constructively and through our constructive moaning we got lightning dogs so so thank you for that yeah that was that was we create we accidentally when we were moaning about young justice we accidentally created um, lightning dogs which is the best animated show you haven't watched yet yeah uh, lightning dogs.com we're here because young justice has one last hurrah 
and that's Young Justice Legacy. A, Appropriately titled. Yeah, it's it's a it's a video game coming out from Little Orbit, coming out this week, uh, November 19th in the United States, November 22nd in Europe. It takes place in the five-year gap between seasons one and two of Young Justice, features most of the original voice cast, and is basically guaranteed to uh, answer some questions that fans might have about that gap of time. So instead of listening to us prattle on, how about we talk to Young Justice's creators, Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti, right now. Let's call them up. With us on the phone, we are very pleased to have Greg Weissman and Brandon Vietti, the creative team behind Young Justice and, uh, and a lot of other wonderful, awesome animated programming. Welcome, guys. Hey, thank you. Uh, uh, I'm Greg Weissman. Glad to be here. I'm Brandon Vietti. So, fellas, uh, we got this new Young Justice game coming out, um, Young Justice Legacy from Little Orbit, and uh, it's been in development for a long time. A surprisingly fitting title now. Yeah, and more, more, more so now than it even was before, I guess. And the Young, Just- Young Justice, the show itself, uh, stands as, um, I feel, probably one of the, the greatest achievements in, D- in DC properties being conveyed to another medium. DC Comics, a rich tapestry of, uh, of superhero legacies and all that, but... Uh, so so well crystallized so well reimagined it was almost like it was a brand new universe with backstories that were easier to get into (laughs) all yep it was just like that so i I was wondering uh how was young justice conceived were you guys given a rough project type to pitch for or did you build it from scratch pretty much built it from scratch i mean uh brandon and i were teamed up by uh sam register who's our boss at at, uh warner brothers tv animation and originally we were teamed up on uh green lantern there was sort of a stealth element to our Green Lantern development, wasn't there? Or am yeah. I mixing things up? No, no, no um, there, there, there was that element we, we discussed in, in um, really delving into some elements of, of fear and what fear is to Green Lanterns, those that are fearless. And, and we, we explored some really fun ideas with that, but ultimately it just didn't uh, crystallize at that point. Yeah, I think part of the thing was is that the movie was delayed, and so they wanted to delay the show and put another show up first. We briefly worked on a after Green Lantern. There was the space ghost thing. A space and ghost. Then, a space ghost thing. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, it was sort of multi Hanna Barbera uh, action characters: space ghost, Herculoids. I'm blanking out, but uh, oh my god, I want all of that. That sounds really cool. But we were on that for a really brief period of time. <laughs> <laughs> And then we were told no, and um, <laughs> handed do something with young characters, you know, do Justice League, but a young Justice League. So sort of like do Young Justice. <laughs> and I think our initial response was terror because there was, uh, you know, these two great shows that had just been on relatively recently, you know, Teen Titans and Justice League Unlimited, mm-hmm. and I, we were intimidated as hell to be in either neighborhood and then brandon really came up with a solution for it i mean you know it was a collective thing i think um working out all of the ideas for telling the story of these younger heroes that were coming into their own and creating the the mentor mentee relationships that you know was i think kind of a defining element of, of the series and tied into the, to the title of young justice so well i think all, on all of our parts we were all fans of Teen Titans. We were all fans of Justice League. And, you know, we were kind of making a show that was somewhere in the middle and we didn't want to step on the toes of either of those great shows. And, and so we, we, uh, we all worked very hard on, on finding 
ways to create an, an, a unique voice for, for young justice. Speaking of a unique voice, I, as somebody who has asked similar questions, where did the idea for Dick Grayson being obsessed with root words come from? Uh, that was me and my kids. It, it was something that we used to play at, which is that, and it really started with the word whelmed. Honestly, it's like people are overwhelmed and they're underwhelmed, but is anyone ever whelmed? <laughs> um, if you actually go to the Oxford English Dictionary, you can see the origins of the whole word and everything like that. And it, it's just evolved to the place we are today where we don't actually use well. But I just thought that was the kind of thing that Dick would have a good time with. And then then we had to find like 20 other um, <laughs> variations on that, you know, other unwords, we called them. But the whole whelm thing started with me and my two kids. What I was actually getting at uh, before was, the again, the idea of making it a spy show, a little more than a superhero show, which I think was uh, Brandon's brainstorm, actually. But not that we didn't both work on it, but uh, I think that's where we found a territory that felt a little different from what had been done on either JLU or titans then i think the other thing was we sort of had a mandate to make a dc universe show um you know we had leads obviously but we were really given the freedom in a kind of unprecedented way to really make this series a series about the whole dc universe you know our version of it's what we called earth 16 or universe 16 i think that helped define what we were too it was a very large-scale playground that we were in allowed us to sort of recreate things in a new and unique way that, again, just felt like, okay, this is different from the DC animated universe that Alan and Bruce had already done and different from Teen Titans and where we could really show the relationships and the connections and see kids at school, see kids with their parents or guardians get a bigger scale. I think Greg and I really kind of we had a lot of very similar ideas coming into this, but we were coming at those ideas from, from different angles. And, and it really, I think, gelled well once we got together in a room and started coming up with stories and talking about characters and agreeing on which characters to use. But, I mean, I remember, Greg, having a conversation one, one time with you about ideas that you had had for, like, Batman and the Outsiders and, and some of the younger teams like that. And yeah. I know I know I kind of come into the project and I was a, a big fan of TV shows like, uh, like ghost in the shell, um, you know, great kind of a police spy anime thriller thing. And I'm a big fan of, um, military themed first person shooter games. And so, I mean, you know, all of these influences from both Greg and me kind of came together, you know, again, we, we were already kind of headed in a similar direction, but coming at it from different angles and kind of throwing all of our influences and favorite things into it really did help the show evolve well. And, and again, I think give it a different flavor than, than some of the superhero shows that we've done before at, at Warner Brothers. And we carried that through from beginning to end. Brian and I be obnoxious and sort of mutual admiration society that the two of us have. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, what Brandon and Phil Barofsky, our character designer, did with the costuming to make it character specific and not I mean, one thing that Brandon used to say all the time is we don't want it to look like they all shop at the same superhero tights store. <laughs> And, uh, and most discount tights down on fifth, the direction that Brandon sort of led things with the music, something that was less of the traditional sort of orchestrated superhero scoring and something much more edgier. I think all of those things helped define us. We always want to try and ground it, ground the show. I mean, look, we're doing a show with superheroes and magic and science fiction and all the, you know, 
superheroes to begin with is this sort of great, I don't say this as a negative, I say it as a huge positive, is this great sort of bastard genre that includes <laughs> fantasy and includes science fiction and includes all sorts of different genres within its boundaries. So yes, we were doing that, but we were always trying to ground in reality. The one thing that I suggested was to do the time stamps. Let our audience nail down exactly how much time has passed between episodes or between sequences within an episode. Um, let's nail down locations instead of being vague about them. You know, if we're in an underground base, let's say where that underground base is, um, as opposed to just saying, yeah, somewhere the villain has a headquarters, you know, that kind of thing. I hope that detail was well appreciated because it was a lot of work and mostly for Greg. <laughs> the times and dates and locations was such an incredible amount of work through the production. The time zones were a big thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I bet. I mean, like that—that that is one of the most. It's it's a subtle, but it's easily one of the most unique things about this show. That kind of obsessive, compulsive level of detail. We appreciate uh, it, yes, you guys. We, we thank you very much. Is a good word for it. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a it was a fun idea in the beginning, and it just got harder and harder to to you know continue forward with for everybody on the crew. It was very difficult, but you know, it's something that as we continued through, we knew as we started to see it in the episodes, it it, it was really working, and it was something that we couldn't you know, back away from it. It really worked well. It was a great texture for the show. And it, it also, um, it made so much sense by the time it got to the second season with invasion with the huge gap of time or time itself. And the, uh, the, the sort of ticking time bomb of all the, the lights plans coming to fruition, the dates and everything. And the times really paid off. There's a, such a sense of urgency. Um, and uh, I, it, which begs to wonder with, with that level of detail you guys were putting into it, <laughs> the, de- the decision to jump, that such a length of time, five years in between seasons, was incredible. I mean, I, I don't really know what to compare it to in animated television. Yeah, we, I, I can't think of any kind of show that would that had not only that much of a gap, but that much, especially today, where so much is spent on the minutia of everything these characters are doing. Well, no, we can't show them doing this. To have that much of a gap and let your trust your viewers to kind of piece things together and figure it out on their own time. Thank you for <laughs> thinking I was intelligent. I, I appreciate that really. <laughs> Really, and there are a lot of people who are mad at us. You know what? <laughs> There's some people who still probably haven't forgiven us. Um, you know, I, I think we felt that we were doing a show about growing up, gaining responsibility, gaining power, gaining experience. And, you know, because we had, uh, the first season is, takes place over six cohesive months from July 4th to January 1st. And our second season, and this was always the plan, takes place from January 1st to July 4th. So it's the, it's six months cohesive as well. It's just there's five years in between those two six-month shots. So in one sense, we were always doing a year in the life. It's just that half the year took place five years ago. <laughs> um, but in order to tell a story about growing up, you know, in the life of a teenager in particular, you just can't show that in six months or even in one year. And so if we're going to show how <clears throat> Robin has evolved, or rather what I should say, Dick Grayson evolved, then, you know, we want to see him as Robin in season one and Nightwing in season two. Advance from being a incredibly competent but still relatively immature 13-year-old kid to being a leader you're not going to see that over the period of six months. You're not even going to see it over the period of a year. 
we needed to see him become Nightwing. We needed to see him become a true sort of heir to Batman, whether he wanted to or not. And that meant jumping. So it made the time jump somewhat inevitable. And I don't just mean Dick Grayson. It was true with Wally West and Artemis and everyone who was a, a lead in season one. We really wanted to see where how they grew. And so, you know, the time jump, I'm not saying it was planned from moment one, but it was uh, it was something that we talked about from really early on in the development of the show. And certainly by the time we were in season in pre-production on season one, we knew we were going to do the time jump for season two, assuming we got a season two. <laughs> yeah. And it also, I mean, it gave you the opportunity to introduce some other characters. One of my favorites was Tim Drake coming in because I'm a huge Tim Drake fan. So thank you for bringing him in. And one of my favorite parts of the show was just how you guys would reincorporate these other elements of the DCU. Seeing characters like Sportsmaster come back as this kind of villainous, badass Casey Jones was yeah, fantastic. We, to, we would, uh, around the office, we would kind of refer to him as sort of the, the Batman of the bad guys, really. Like we really <laughs> thought of him highly and, and made him pretty skilled. And it was kind of fun to go through the DCU and, and finds uh, there are several other characters like that, that, that uh, may not be considered a list or even B list. And, you know, but they were good characters nonetheless. And, and, you know, we had a lot of fun kind of bringing them to, to life. And, you know, it was one more thing to contrast us from, from the other shows that came before us to, to kind of come up with an entirely new uh, guest list of heroes and villains. Leads weren't the traditional lead. You know, in other words, it wasn't Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and Flash, who were our leads, it was their protege. And the emphasis isn't necessarily going to be on, by definition, you know, Superman's A-list villains or uh, Batman's A-list villains. You know, it's not that we couldn't have come up with a great story for Two-Face. In fact, I had an idea for one. <laughs> um, it has to make sense for our leads. You know, we would have loved to have had more of Joker and, and more of some of those other great characters, but... You know, the ones that took the forefront were the ones that made sense in the sort of bigger scale or made sense in terms of how they came up against uh, our kids. But yeah, you know, Sportsmaster, I, I think I said at one convention that if we can make Professor Oho cool, we can make anybody cool. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but Sportsmaster, to, to me, yeah, it was like our Batman or our villain's Batman or or another way we talked about him long before we had Deathstroke in the show is that he was a blue-collar Deathstroke. Deathstroke, sort of the white-collar assassin, Sportsmaster, was sort of the blue-collar version of that. And, you know, just what we got out of the whole Croc family between Sportsmaster and Huntress and Tigress and Artemis and Cheshire and all those characters, that just brought us so much. <laughs> it most definitely did. Now, with uh, Young Justice Legacy, uh, the, the forthcoming game from Little Orbit comes out uh, this week, November 19th in the U.S. and November 22nd in Europe. Its intention from like how it was branded since it was first announced is it is the five-year gap, or at least the highlights of it. I, I wouldn't say it's the highlights of it. It's one very important story that took place during it. I don't want to give the impression that you get this game, you'll know everything that's important that happened in the five-year <laughs> gap, because that's just not true. Right, right. But what is true is that this tells one story that took place during the five-year gap, and it's a big, significant, important story. And so it will wind up filling in a lot of blanks, but it's not designed at all to be comprehensive in any way. 
like, oh, once I see this, I'll know everything that took place during the five-year gap. It's not at all designed to be that. So I don't want to create bad expectations. Sure. But it definitely is set during the five-year gap. It tells one incredibly significant and important story during that gap that will answer a lot of more major questions that the audience might have about it. It's a game that ties directly into the show's continuity, which is more than most TV-based video games can say. So uh, how did exactly did uh, Legacy get off the ground? And approached us, and we developed, Brandon and um, myself and, and the guys at Little Orbit developed the story together. I think they, didn't they, they wanted, they wanted advice on where to go with the story, I believe, right? I mean, you know, is it, should they just pick up at the end of season two or, you know, and I, I think we had already kind of known, I, I think in our heads, we, that was a story that we'd been dying to tell was what was going to go on in that, that time jump. So I think, uh, I think we might've done some of the big steering there. And I think, you know, we, we'd had so many stories in our own minds of what had happened in there. I think we started bouncing ideas around back and forth and found something that we all agreed on. Is that about, it's been a while since we talked this stuff out. I, I think I'm getting it roughly I think right. That's right. I mean, we worked with Sharon Scott, who was the lead writer on the game. She had some ideas and she threw and, I mean, she would bounce stuff off of us, and we would go, well, we really like this aspect of it, but that doesn't really fit. And part of it also was, again, setting it in our timeline. I mean, the timeline includes the two seasons on television, but it also includes the Young Justice Companion comics. Um, I don't mean the old original Peter David series, but... Uh, the ones you uh, wrote in addition to some other folk. Yeah, I wrote a bunch of them, uh, or co-wrote most of them, and... Uh, we had a couple other guys who uh, wrote a few issues, and Kevin Hopps, who was one of our lead writers, was um, on there too. But we made sure that all those comics were in continuity and fit on the timeline. So part of what we were doing with Sharon on the Orbit's game legacy was to make sure that, okay, if it's set at this moment in time, who's on the team, who's not on the team? If it's set in this moment in time, what is this character's attitude towards you know, the larger life of being a superhero, you know, where are they emotionally in this moment of time? And we tried really hard to pinpoint that and get it right. Um, I know that I story edited all the dialogue to make sure that it sounded in character. We just wanted to make sure that this game mattered from a storytelling standpoint. Now there's a little bit in, I think in any video game where it's like, okay, they might play a little fast and loose with some of the powers and abilities for the standpoint of, you know, making this attack or that sort of thing. <laughs> right. But, um, but for the most part, and certainly from a story standpoint, I think it's pretty strong and all the characters are behaving the way you expect them to behave from watching the show. Though I definitely think there's some surprises in there, some things that and catch people off guard. That's awesome. Uh, at the uh, you, you guys staged a fan meetup at San Diego Comic-Con this year, which was really, really wonderful. Cool to see all the, the fans come out in costume and uh, meet the writers, and Peter David was there. It was a really cool event. When you guys were speaking to everybody, you remained very hopeful at the continuation of Young Justice, and so at least in, insofar as you weren't, you're not ready at this point to say, all right, it's over. Here's what season three was going to be about. You're, you're keeping that close to your chest. What, uh, what can fans do to get more Young Justice? Is there, is there something you guys have in mind of like, okay, this strategic attack, like Young, young Justice legacy sales will, will push us over the boundary. It'll, it'll really 
seal the deal for us or be Batman, coordinate your team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't want to create unrealistic expectations, but right. I don't think it's hopeless. I, you know, one thing that definitely helps is to vote with your wallet. You know, I mean, in other words, there are product out there, obviously the big one, Young Justice Legacy, but there are also DVDs, sales. The soundtrack came out this summer, which is fantastic. And by uh, Dynamic Music Partners and, there are the trade paperbacks of the comics. Um, yeah, essential reading for all Young Justice fans. And most people, um, I did a panel recently, actually, about, about the, the New 52 and Young Justice came up. Uh, lots of hands for people who were fans of Young Justice. Almost no one was aware of the comic and that it was so integral to the storyline. Yeah, we tried to make it integral and important and, you know, fill in gaps and... Um, tell important additional stories. That's exactly the same mindset as we had for Legacy. And it's frustrating that people don't know about it. I mean, spreading the word is a big part of that. You know, in other words, everyone is limited to how much ready cash they have to purchase things. But given the internet, you're not limited as to how helpful you can be spreading the word. And so that would be really useful. But, you know, the main thing really is voting with your wallet. I wish we had a clear, and Brandon, feel free to jump in, but I wish we had a clear sort of like, well, if you if we only do this, or if we only sell this amount, then Young Justice will be back. And we don't have that kind of clear directive or that kind of clear uh, ability to sort of say it's as simple as this, because it's not simple. There's no magic formula for it. We can never, ever, ever, ever say, do X, Y, and Z, and absolutely Young Justice will be back. It just is not that simple. Like Greg is saying, I think showing support for the show in any way you can, even while it's off the air is, is helpful. I mean, that's one way to let the powers that be know that there's an appetite for that. I mean, you can look at, look at other brands, uh, historically like, uh, Teen Titans went away. It came back and it's in a slightly different incarnation, but still it's of that family. So, I mean, you know, it's shows can come back. Um, but at the same time, as I say that, I always fear getting people's hopes up. Again, it's there's no magic formula. There's no, <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. There's there's just no uh, no magic formula for how to bring a show back. Yeah. First off, Brian and I would love nothing more than to do more Young Justice. So every other day, I get a tweet, you know, on Twitter asking me why I killed Young Justice. (laughs) That's not Um, fair. You know, asking me, please bring it back as if that was under my control or Brandon's control. It's just not. So that's the first thing. Um, We'd love to do it. Second thing is, is that the most immediate thing is that uh, Little Orbit has the license for a while for Young Justice games. Well, that bodes well. Well, I don't know that it, I mean, if it sells really well, I don't know that that would automatically make everyone at, DC Comics, Cartoon Network, Time Warner, Warner Brothers all go, okay, we need to make more episodes of the show. But what it might do, and this is a maybe, right. what it might do is make Little Orbit say, wow, that sold well for us. Let's do another one. Let's do one set during the era of season three. And they have the license for that. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so you know, but obviously if the game doesn't sell well, you know, they're not likely to so to speak, throw good money after bad. Sure. I, I don't want to speak for them. I'm not speaking for them at yeah. all or pretending to, but the, but some of this stuff is just sort of common sense. If it sells really well, they'll want to make another game to, at the very least, make more money. 
and to help and to serve the fans and all that sort of stuff. If it doesn't sell well, then they're not likely to do that, no matter how much they enjoyed the process. Nerdy um, show listeners, your charge is clear. Yeah, buy the game. <laughs> Uh, by the game and the the final volume of the comics uh, comes out this December, and we'll have links to where you can pick up all this stuff on this episode's page. So you know what you got to do. Now, Young Justice Legacy suffered some delays. Now that it's releasing long after the cancellation of the series, uh, have you guys changed or added anything about it? No, I think everything was pretty well locked in before we knew that we weren't going to get a third season. Um, and again, given the setting of it, which is between season one and season two didn't really affect anything that we were doing in the game. You know, we got uh, 90% of the voice cast is playing their original roles. We got a couple, a handful of roles that just had a couple lines here and there. And and um, for budgetary reasons, we had to double up some parts. But, you know, all the important roles, you're going to hear the original actors play them. And Jamie Thompson, the voice director of the series, also voice directed uh the video game, um, you know, so it, it really will, I think, feel like a Young Justice experience fundamentally. But no, I, I don't think the lack of a pickup affected content in any significant way, in any way really at all. Yeah. Um, so, something that's been associated with the demise of Young Justice was the lack of action figure sales, which is, of course, something that most diehard fans guffaw at since the action figures, they weren't, they'll leave something to be desired. But uh, in you guys' opinion, in an age where toy retail isn't what it once was, why do action figure sales still dictate the success of a show? Well, I think the answer is is that they don't have to if there's an alternative. Hmm. You know, in other words, it costs a lot of money to make animated series, particularly one on the level of of Young Justice. That money has to come from somewhere. Toy sales have traditionally, particularly action figure sales for action shows have traditionally been where that money comes from. But the short answer is it doesn't have to come from action figures. It just has to come from merchandise. The problem is, is that who wants merchandise of it? And if the toy and if the action figures aren't selling, what other licensee is going to say, well, it's not working for them, but we think it could work for us. I mean, we had a t-shirt at Hot Topic, which actually sold out. So it must have sold pretty well. It must have at least met their expectation. I have no idea how many they made, how much money they made on it. But the fact is, is that one t-shirt isn't going to pay for a television series. Right. It was a big blow to us when our toy line was canceled. And I think if I had to pick one factor, and it's ridiculous to only pick one factor, frankly, but if I had to pick only one factor, I would say that the biggest blow, the lack of success of the toy line, there were a ton of other factors, and we can bemoan all of them and uh, sort of Monday morning quarterback over the toy line too. <laughs> but, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that it didn't sell. Getting back to a somewhat happier topic, I actually had a question for Brandon. <laughs> and this is more just a bit of fan query, if you will. You directed the film uh, Under the Red Hood, which is one of my favorite uh, DC animated titles. Does that tie in directly to Young Justice? I mean, there was kind of this little aside between Dick and Tim saying, don't get hurt, kind of insinuated to Jason Todd. It's Bruce Greenwood in both Batman roles. Could you, could you feed a bone <laughs> uh, to this little... trying to connect the, the universes there between the movie and, the, and Young Justice. Um, no, I mean, there's, there's really not. I, I always thought of those as 
two separate storylines going on, two separate universes. Um, you know, we had room for Jason Todd in, in uh, Young Justice, and and he is in our timeline. He's even seen in, in a hologram in season two. And, you know, I, I don't know that we've worked out beat for beat all of the events that led to his demise and how close those are to Red Hood. We've not really, Greg and I haven't really discussed that specifically. I can say right now, in my mind, there is no link between Red Hood and, and Young Justice. That's fair. We'll just go out. We'll put that on Earth-17. We'll make that just a sidestep, since it's, it's similar enough, I guess. <laughs> it's high time we had a little musical interlude, and then we'll get right back to talking with Brandon and Greg. Here's a Kirby Crackle classic from their record Super Powered Love. This is called Rainbow Bridge, commemorating the release of Thor The Dark World, which I saw recently, and I thought it was pretty damn good. A sufferable amount of Natalie Portman and a bunch of awesome stuff to make up for it. Cross the Rainbow Bridge To the place where the old gods live Father sits on throne Near the place where the frost giants roam In the wintertime Eating bowl with goblets of red wine And I feel at home In the old stone halls Where the warriors all stand tall And they share their tales Battles fight, both triumph and fail And the goddess song Both sung in choir and a whisper And I feel at home Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Of metal and stars, and I call them friends. 
doing research for this episode i was i hadn't realized brandon that you had done some episodes of the 2003 spider-man series for mtv and greg you did spectacular spider-man so it's entertaining that the two of you would get to young justice having both had the web head (laughs) in your prior work history backgrounds and batman too we both worked together on uh on the batman and going back as a freelance writer on that and yes starts of troopers and were you on men in black i can't remember no, if it wasn't on Men in Black, I was probably on Jackie Chan at the time. But we both did a lot of work at Sony, and, and I worked on many of Greg's scripts, both as a storyboard artist and, and as a director on, on The Batman, like Greg said. And so Young uh, Justice was really just a culmination for you two. Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I've been wanting to work more closely with Greg for years. I always enjoyed working on his scripts because they're incredibly well thought out and tight, and you can really feel all the work that Greg puts in to his scripts and it, it made my job as a director easier. And as a storyboard artist, it, it made the work easier. So I think, I think Greg is a, uh, is a director at heart. He's a writer by trade, but he has a, a, a director's brain and he writes things as a director needs to hear them for, for directing. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was great to finally get to work with him and, Kind of honestly, I, I kind of looked at Greg a bit as a, as a mentor. Young Justice was my first gig producing, and and uh, I got to do my first script writing under Greg for Young Justice, and so it was a big learning experience for me all around. So then, which pairing would you guys be? Would that be a Bruce and 
uh, Dick? Would that be Calder and Arthur? <laughs> I mean, how how does that one break down? Uh, I think Calder and Dick is a good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the truth is, is that you know I I said this. Uh, often enough to embarrass him. And so I'll just do it again. Um, Brandon's the smartest guy in any room um, and smarter than me. And I don't say that lightly because I think of myself quite arrogantly as the smartest guy in the room most of the time. <laughs> but um, but uh, I definitely always, uh, I learned very early on in the process that, no, this guy's smart. And I know there was so much good stuff. And we, we had these great story meetings. You know, my method hasn't, you know, evolved slightly, but hasn't changed much over the years. It's very low tech. It's about a big bulletin board, a lot of index cards of various colors and Sharpies. And it's about sort of taking these cards and putting beat points on them and maybe moving them around and saying, okay, we're going to do this in this episode. Oh, no, maybe we'll move that two episodes later. And sort of trying to plan as much in advance as possible. And Brandon leaped right into that process. We also had uh, Kevin Hopps, developing uh, the story with us. Kevin is terrific. I you know, always love working with Kevin. And, and, you know, we just beat it out, you know, and uh, a lot of, as Brandon said earlier, a lot of our thought processes coming from very different places seemed to really coalesce and, uh, and it was terrific. So you, you, you very much had sort of two strong uh, leaders on the show both of us very involved in every step of the process. And the difference is Brandon can write and I can't draw at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he wrote two scripts on the show. Both of them were just terrific, particularly when you take into account that they were the first scripts he'd really ever written right off the bat, you know, on a level with uh, any of our other freelance writers on the series from moment one. Because he just knew these characters so intimately. Uh, speaking of characters, we actually have a, a question from one of our fans, Barry I. He wants to know if either of you had a favorite character or character you identified with most from the series. That's always tough. It's so hard to, because you grow so attached to all of the characters as you're writing them and thinking out their stories and their lives. I really enjoyed, it's hard to pick one, so I'm going to pick two. <laughs> um, Superboy and, and Aqualad, I think we're, we're both particularly favorites of mine and and not to play a pun with Aqualad, but I, I liked them both because they were fish out of water characters. I liked um, that they were new to the world. I mean, they were adolescents and going through all of that normal stuff as any other teenager and uh, that we treated in the show the same way, the, the coming of age story. But, but then they had this extra thing working against them that they had to overcome. And that was, you know, differences in, in culture or just learning the world from scratch as Superboy was. It, it really complicated their lives. And I thought that was really fun to write and, and to play out. Again, we made Aqualad cool. How yes. hard is that? Right. <laughs> but, you know, it, I think Aqualad really is kind of an achievement in particular. Well, I mean, he was so um, cool. Jeff Johns just, you know, decided to sort of sample him briefly, albeit. But I mean, yeah, Calderon kicks ass. And then he did a great job with with young Superboy making an angsty, angry character relatable and fun to watch at the same time. That's not an easy feat. The original six Really, all of them were so much fun for us. Not that the characters that came later weren't, but obviously we spent two years with those six. You know, I'm a huge fan of the Dick Wally friendship. Um, I really liked 
what we built between Miss Marson and Superboy. I really liked what we built between Artemis and Wally. I got a huge kick out of our show within a show, Hello, Megan. Um, <laughs> yes. And Miss Marson, you know. That was tremendously amusing to me. I don't know how easy it was to be honest, but I had a great time. Very. I I lost Um, my shit. (laughs) And and co-writing the theme song for Hello, Megan with uh, Dynamic Music Partners and with Nicole Dubuque was a blast, you know, trying to capture that 70s, you know, late 70s uh, TV theme song thing was um, fun. You know, you just like to stretch yourself in ways and... That was something I'd never done before, obviously. <laughs> Don't have a lot of call to do 70s-style theme songs. but um, <laughs> that, that does lead uh, me to my next question, which is, when do we get to see the spinoff series, Hello, Megan? I'm, you know, anytime. <laughs> 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 we actually had an idea for an issue of the comic, basically do a, a whole issue um, just with a little framing device that was otherwise an, an episode of Hello, Megan. But we didn't, you know, the comic didn't last long enough for us to get to that. But there, you know, there are lots of ideas we didn't last long enough to get to. And we've got a timeline, I forget now. I haven't looked at it in a few months, but it was something like, what was like 290 pages or something like that, Brandon? Do you remember? Uh, Yeah. Just under 300. I can't remember the full number, but. Man. Again, going back, yeah, to how Craig keeps very, very tight notes and runs a very tight ship. Yeah, he, he wrote a very, very big, thick Bible, the biggest I've ever seen for a TV show. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so, and we have uh, so many ideas, um, many of which we pitched to either DC or Warner Brothers, and none of which they were at the moment interested in pursuing, but uh, we, you know, we are not out of ideas on the show, and the very nature of the show with you know, our ability to jump ahead in time or to flash back to the past or, you know, the gap or any of that stuff means that it's almost limitless. There isn't a, a sort of point where we'd say, oh, okay, we're done. As long as they let us make the material, we'd be interested in doing more. I don't think we'd ever really run out. Lots of stories left to tell. We got a, a couple more fan questions. Frozen Treasure, in relation to uh, the uh, death of Wally West, spoiler alert. He would like to know uh, wh- how you guys feel about character death uh, and non uh, the non-permanency of it in comic books. And uh, is it? do you feel it's detrimental uh, to the Im- impact of a comic story? My feeling is, is that be real serious about killing a character off, uh, if that's what you're going to do. There was a time when death seemed permanent in comics, when Bucky Barnes was dead and Barry Allen was dead and, uh, you know, Ben Parker was dead. And those deaths have meaning and significance. And if you undo them on a case-by-case basis, it can work. But if you keep doing this over and over again, multiple characters, it stops being believable. No one buys it anymore. Uh, It becomes another arrow in the quiver, so to speak, and it just becomes, no matter how well done, stick. And even and the problem, of course, in the, this day and age is that even if the writer of this specific death is serious and means for it to be permanent, you still need to think twice about before you do it. Because you know in a shared universe like DC or Marvel, if you do that, you're not going to be on the book permanently. And the next writer or editor or whatever who comes in may undo what you've done. 
And that doesn't change the books that you wrote or illustrated, but it, it'll change the overall effect of it, and it just renders it kind of another trick arrow. And I think that's the same, generally. But it's hard on a case-by-case basis to address that because you can justify it in any given individual story killing off a character, and you can justify in any individual story, I suppose, bringing that character back. It's a little harder to justify that, but it's doable. But it does speak to the overall sense of, you know, how real death is in your universe. I agree. Generally don't like it when uh, characters die and then come back. You better be a damn good reason to to bring a character back, you know? I mean, it, it can happen. They, those those reasons can be there, but it's just, I don't know, I find it more satisfying. Even if I don't like that, that a character died, it, it, makes it, 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 it makes the world more real and makes danger more real, makes threats feel weighty and real. And that's the most important part of trying to tell a story is like, um, you know, creating that sense of realism for your audience. Well, we're all we're all well, well aware of what Greg is up to, what with Star Wars Rebels and all, um, and very very excited for that. Yeah, uh, but Brandon, I'm, I wasn't able to find any information on what you're working on right now. Oh, it's unannounced yet. I'm frustrated. I, I wish I could tell you, um, but I'm still at Warner Brothers Animation. I, I can't tell you that right after Young Justice, the first project I did was a Scooby Doo movie that I produced and directed where Scooby and the gang basically team up with the WWE <laughs> for a, a wrestling mystery. It's it's pretty amazing. I haven't been um, following Scooby-Doo as closely as I should, apparently, <laughs> because that sounds amazing. And uh, and that, that project will be out, uh, I believe, around WrestleMania time. I, I don't know that there's an actual release date yet. You won't be able to miss it in stores. Uh, it, hopefully end of March. I think that's usually around when they do WrestleMania or early April, but it's it's a tie-in with uh, WrestleMania, and um, it's a really really fun crossover. I was really excited to get to do it. It was my my first time working on a Scooby Doo, and to get to do a crossover like in when I watched Scooby, it was like the Globe Trotters and Batman and Robin would show up on Scooby Doo, the old show. It was always the Globe Trotters. Really, really fun to get to do uh, WWE. By the way, Brandon pitched them a Scooby Doo Young Justice crossover. What? Uh, <laughs> that should have happened. <laughs> it would have been perfect. I mean, you know, two teams of teenagers that solve mysteries. I mean, you know, it kind of writes itself. <laughs> yeah. And they both have superpowers, clearly, because how else does Scooby and Shaggy keep their figures eating all that food? <laughs> we sort of talked about trying it either way, either, you know, redesign the Scooby characters into the Young Justice style and tell a sort of more Young Justice-y Scooby-Doo story, or to just design the Young Justice kids into the Scooby style, do it that way. We pitched both versions. I, I just had neither, but... <laughs> I just had this mental image of, of Dick Grayson as Nightwing doing the shaggy walk cycle, and my head exploded. <laughs> That's amazing. That's uh, the fun of working at Warner Brothers, though. There's so many great characters here, and it's like impossible to not daydream about crossovers like that. So <laughs> it sort of bubbles up naturally. <laughs> Keep daydreaming, Brandon. We'll get one eventually, and if it's anything like what you just pitched, it's going to be amazing. Uh, there is one thing I'd like to promote. Yes. Oh, please do. I might. Um, my first novel's coming out on less than a month on December 3rd. Yeah, I was Random just going to ask you about that, actually. 
I really, really want everybody to buy it. <laughs> I, I'm really proud of it. I worked really hard on it. I've written the second book in the series already, and I actually turned in the final draft of that last night. Yeah. Um, and so the, but it's a nine book series and guaranteed the first two, but, um, <laughs> if the first two don't sell, then I don't get to write books three through nine. So I really want everyone to help me out and give me the opportunity to finish this story. Um, yeah, Greg, I only just yeah. found out about this and was really excited at the, the prospects. Uh, what can you tell us about, uh, Reign of Ghosts? Uh, Reign of the Ghosts is about a 13 year old girl, Rain Kasik, and her, uh, best friend, uh, Charlie, who uh, live on a Caribbean island um, called San Prospero. Um, and Rain believes at the beginning of the book that her life is sort of set in stone, that she's going to, you know, she uh, lives with her parents and their bed and breakfast, which they run, and she works making beds, and she works on her dad's charter boat, cutting bait and that kind of thing. She just feels like her whole life is going to be serving tourists for her entire existence. And then she things start to happen and she begins to realize that she may have a, a different and more special destiny. Um, among other things, she discovers that she can uh, communicate, see and talk to ghosts. She sees dead people. She finds out there's a mystery to the ghosts. Ghosts are the uh, eight islands that San Prospero is part of, the ghost key that there's a mystery to solve and there's a wound to heal and that she's got a, a, a larger role in things than she could have dreamed. And so that's the basic um, plot line, not just for the first book, but for the whole series is Rain's discovery of what she has to do to solve this larger mystery. Well, I can't, I can't wait to buy it. And then the second one, like three or four <laughs> times to help boost whatever I possibly can. Because I, I want a full nine season Wiseman story. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, both both books are available for pre order now, like on Amazon or websites like that. Uh, the first one again is called Rain R A I N of the Ghosts. The second book is called uh, Spirits of Ash and Foam. Uh, both are available for pre order. Uh, Rain comes out December third. Spirits comes out uh, May thirteenth. So you don't even have to wait that long for the second book. Um, the first two chapters of Spirits are also teased at the back of the first Rain book. You know, it, it, it's a great story. These are great characters that I've been living with for a while. Uh, uh, I came up with this idea back in the mid-late 90s. So, uh, you know, this is this is something that I've been developing for a long time and very close to my heart. And, uh yeah, I really, I'm hoping I'll be able to tell the full story. We'll link to where you can pick those up on this episode's page, because uh, you're definitely going to want to. And you might as well get, like, the digital copy as well. That way, in case you leave one of your physical books behind, you can get the digital copy, too. I mean, phones, it's good stuff. You know, just buy the book twice. <laughs> <laughs> and they make and they make great gifts for Christmas and birthdays and Hanukkah and, and Kwanzaa. Um, Arbor Day. And uh, uh, stocking stuffers, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, again, I'm being really shameless about it, and I'm being really open about the fact that I want people to buy my book. Um, yep, I, Jay the, Sherman. The really key thing is I don't actually make a mint off these things, but what I do get, if they sell well, is the opportunity to finish the story. That's what I'm most concerned about. Not that I wouldn't like to make money, but that's not really the priority. The priority for me is getting the opportunity to finish it. 
And we will help you in your shameless plug, sir. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Let us be your megaphone. So Young Justice Legacy comes out this week, November 19th uh, in the United States and the 22nd in Europe. Uh, obviously, you guys need to check it out. You need to play it. And uh, we'll have links to where you can get that and a whole bunch of other Young Justice stuff, the, the videos, the soundtrack, the comics on this episode's page, as well as Reign of Ghosts. Yeah, Reign of the Ghosts, Greg's uh, forthcoming novel and, uh, and its sequel. Thanks so much, uh, guys. Uh, Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Greg, not only for being on the podcast, for, but for producing such quality content as you have and will continue to do. I can't wait to see what each of you are doing in the future. Thank you very much. Well, thanks. It was fun. Thank you. Those guys. Yeah, those, those guys. guys. We're, well, really excited for their future projects. And, really excited uh, for that, that WWE Scooby-Doo crossover. That's going to be ridiculous. I, it's, I have no idea why, because I'm not the biggest wrestling fan these days, but I, oh my God, I've, I will watch that eight times. Thing, I've never been a wrestling fan, but really what it boils down to is that is perhaps the most appropriate Scooby-Doo crossover that they've ever had. At least since the Globetrotters, which there are only the so many times yeah. that you can have the Globetrotters and Jonathan Winters come on your show. <laughs> Wait, has it been more than once? Globetrotter, I don't know if it was more than once, but the Globetrotter seemed to be on a lot of different Scooby-Doo shows when I was younger. Maybe I was just watching the same one over and over again. I can't keep track. <laughs> and then Sonny's well, dead, are Cher's based. still old. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do but get the wwe yeah why not that's man it's good that, i'm that's, curious as to what of the superstars are going to be helping scooby-doo solve a mystery <laughs> oh dear god john well, cena sitting there going you can't see me we've got we've got a few months to to wait on that one but uh hopefully there'll be a trailer soon that because that's that sounds hilarious and of course star wars rebels future reporting on that will be on state of the empire our star wars speculation podcast unless it spills over because let's be fair star wars rebels it could it could follow it could pop up places well we do have a whole show dedicated to star wars tony i mean such is life um as as a fun aside not too very long ago i was uh, at a comic-con with aaron that i'd never been to before north carolina comic-con in durham north carolina it's a it's a smaller con but one of the best cons i've been to in a long time as far as like you know not mm-hmm. ones that aren't like behemoths like megacon and san diego it's a, it was a convention hall uh, of a of a good size built into a marriott hotel and then also right next to it is a theater much older than the hotel or the convention center a movie theater and a performance theater as well actually connected physically connected to the convention hall area so there was a nerdy film festival and the comic convention happening simultaneously. So it was it was awesome. Uh, Brian was there, so I got to hang out with Brian for a while, and of course a bunch of other wonderful guests like Bob Burden, creator of Flaming Carrot, who was on the show not too long ago. He he uh, had a public reading of a of a letter that was written in complaint to him <laughs> and uh, and Dave Sim uh, from a crazy amazing. person. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, uh, maybe next time Aaron and I are on the show together, we can, uh, we can recount that. It was awesome. Bob is, Bob is incredible. Uh, he's like the Salvador Dali of comic books. Same mustache and everything? No, he doesn't, not physically, uh, but. He should. And speaking of, uh, there's a brand new Flaming Carrot Kickstarter, uh, that, that just launched. It's still going on by the time you're hearing this, if you're hearing this when the episode, when this episode has come out. Uh, so I'll link links to, yeah, on this episode's page link to where you can check that out. It's a, it's a new collection of uh, of well rare and new, I believe, flaming carrot stories. So that's uh, if you want your surreal comic fix, that's where you got to go. Uh, so North Carolina Comic Con, 
really great. Really enjoyed it. Definitely one to check out if you're uh, if you're in that that region. It was a blast, and uh, I hope to go again. But now we got to talk about all the wonderful people who make this show possible. Uh, so Nerdy Show is listener supported. That means that uh, you guys, dear listeners, new or old, uh, you make us possible, and uh, not just this program, but the entire network of programs. And for that, we love you. We, we- love you a lot. We love you a lot in some kind of uh, Irish and or Scottish accent for it some reason. It was one of the two things. Why not? I get, yeah, I guess, you know, you only live once. So <laughs> sometimes, sometimes just you speak in a, when you guys support us, when you guys send in a generous donation of any amount, we send you cool perks in the mail. Like at this point, hours of deleted content of just us, us screwing around behind the scenes as well as like, uh, fan fiction readings and all kinds of weird oh, stuff. Oh lord, those were good. And and for those of you who arts from me's, it's it's cool stuff, the yeah. stuff I draw. Exclusive art from like our tabletop role playing show Dungeons and Doritos. And this month we have outtakes from our most recent book club episode Sick Puppies, about 15 minutes of great content, alternate version of one of our readings. And if we can manage to get to the $600 mark this month, we will finally be able to release our 13 minutes of outtakes from our Mighty Mega Man episode featuring the Proto Men. But that's on you guys. We got to hit that threshold, and uh, uh, it didn't. It didn't happen last month. So make it happen this month. The power is yours. Some awesome people have contributed so far this month, and they have said cool things to us. Well, Garrier did not have a message, but thank you so much, Garrier. Thank you, Garrier. But Joe Barda said, "Please enjoy this small donation. Thank you guys for all you do. Can't wait for the next book club." And, and neither can we, because we oh, are super yeah. excited to talk to Michael Grant, co-author of The Animorphs and Even Adam, and the author of the novel Berserk, spelled mm-hmm. B-Z-R-K, which I just recently finished, and here's my short review. Oh my god, it was awesome, you gotta go buy it right now, link in this episode's page. So, do that. And then Mauron said, yeah, whatever, money. <laughs> Mauron! Archaeus supported us and said, because quality entertainment doesn't make itself. Yet. And Big Bad Shadow Man said, here's five bucks for the latest Ghostbusters Resurrection episode. Really liked it. Thank you, everybody, for contributing. And uh, so please contribute to Nerdy Show. And uh, and we'll be able to continue to interview cool people like this and do awesome shows. And provide you with this uh, with the content you like. You like the content, right? It, yeah. would, be, it would be a shame if this content would, I don't know, disappear <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, put put the lean on them, Tony. I'm just saying. Show, you know, them, how, show them how we do things downtown. I'm just going to, you know, this, this Nerdy Show is... It's, funded by you and if we disappear what are you gonna do with your monies nothing right no, nothing at all <laughs> Give it but, up. no we, we know you we know you guys have lots of things to do with your money and we really do appreciate uh you doing those money things with us we do um, it's it's you we get the best fans cap alternately if you want to buy cool stuff and you probably do especially after listening to this episode all the links on this episode's page are allocated through our iTunes affiliation and our Amazon affiliation, so it does give back to Nerdy Show. That is also a way you can help us out. Wait, you mean they can buy the stuff they were probably going to buy anyway and help us out at the same time? That is 100% correct, Tony. That is amazing. You guys should do that all the time. It, it is an option. You can, in fact, use Nerdy Show's links to buy not just stuff we've linked to, but anything on Amazon through our links does give back to us. So especially this holiday season, do think of Nerdy Show. Buy 16 60-inch televisions. And, uh, you know, if you do that, shoot us an email at info at nerdyshow.com. You know, we'll, we'll all celebrate together and give each other high fives at the very least. We got a lot of cool stuff coming out as the uh, as the end of the year approaches, including our annual top 20 nerdy things of this year, a gift list for all the, the coolest stuff that's come out recently that uh, might not know about that uh, would totally be worth buying. 
and some very special episodes, including our forthcoming book club, as I mentioned. And if you mm-hmm. have uh, if you have any commentary about uh, about the books we, we're reading, even Adam or Berserk for that matter, uh, you can head over to the forum page where you can uh, you can shoot us your thoughts on uh, on the literature. Shoot them all over us. Yep, shoot it all over us. And if you guys play Young Justice Legacy, let us know what you think. Obviously, I haven't played it. Tony hasn't played it. It's not out yet. Makes from, it very difficult us. for us to give a review. Yeah, so we're, far. we're not. We uh, we're recording before the game comes out, so we haven't played it. Uh, well, actually, I, that's not true. I played it several years ago at E3 when it was in a beta stage. <laughs> so I can't. I cannot properly review the game. Back when but the I questions did. it was supposed to be answering were questions we wouldn't know the answers to. Yes. Like, so I have. I have played it uh, way back in the day. If you want to see me play that early ass version of young justice legacy I'll, I'll link to it youtube but uh, it's been a, it's been a long time coming and i'm really excited to finally play it and i really really hope that we can see young justice continue somehow in some format uh you know two thumbs brought up uh, netflix as a possibility on the forums and uh i i don't know they haven't done original animation yet but i mean it's it's got to be a possibility right and certainly DC's got to be a little bit nervous about uh, what Marvel just pulled with that announcement of their four concurrent series of 13 episodes of Marvel's street-level heroes like uh, like Power Man and Jessica Jones, all accumulating in, and, and Daredevil, all accumulating in a Defenders miniseries. That sounds really cool to me. Talk about embracing new technologies. Even if it's as like moderately okay to totally bland as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, it'll still it could still be pretty cool. And I have faith that because it's in a different medium that's not, say, ABC primetime television, it'll definitely be a bit edgy, because those are edgy characters. How about that? Wouldn't, that? wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. And maybe if superhero stuff uh, succeeds on Netflix, we'll see something uh, from Young Justice. That would be really cool. But again, it's an animated series with a budget. The fact that Little Orbit still has the, uh, the license to continue to produce stuff under the Young Justice name... Wow, that opens up the world of a world of possibilities. So we got to support. We got to support them, and we also got to support Greg Wiseman's Reign of the Ghosts. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to read that. I mean, as he's been one of my favorite television writers since I was a child. I, the fact that he, this and is, I want him to get more than two seasons on something to finish his <laughs> I know, goddamn I know. story. It would be, it would be such a shame. And and he, he's been this. Uh, judging by when he said he, he was thinking about this, this is his post Gargoyles material. Yeah, so. this is like just after Gargoyles. Yeah, so and it's. I want it. I want it bad. Um, and like I said, we'll link to where you can check out all this stuff on this episode's page. The Young Justice comic book, uh, which every Young Justice fan needs to, to to read to get the full Young Justice scope of everything that's happened. Of course, Young Justice Legacy, uh, the soundtrack. The Young Justice DVDs. Yeah, and, and, and Greg's new book. I know, I know. It's a lot of, a lot of Christmas shopping, but uh, add to your wish list, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's good content. We bitch and moan so often on this show, on pretty much everything, about the dearth of good content out there. Let's let's do what we can, and, nerds. Let's unite and get good content, goddammit. And really, it's my favorite it's my favorite DC Universe thing in the longest time, so it it means a lot. And really, if you like DC's characters, this is the best representation of any of them you're gonna see. Taking us out, we've got a brand new track from comic nerd rapper extraordinaire, Adam Warrock, featuring Beefy. From now till the end of 2013, he's going to be focusing on collaboration tracks between him and his other rapping friends. So this is a track called Febreze Bros, about how fresh Warlock and Beefy be. Thanks so much for listening. Bye, I'm Cap. Goodbye, I'm Tony. Maybe we should uh, call ourselves the Febreze Brothers, because it's feeling so fresh right now. Walking through the produce style, picking some fruit out. Yeah. Nerdcore, this is what we do now. Kick in the door with my top to shoals. Walking in the party, pour the serene in your punch bowls. We don't give a fuck, fresh cut, ask your pusher. Walk, out the duck, and be straight from the butcher. Flows 
Paris, baguettes in Paris, smoke hot with the shampoo in the shower like Ferris. The older man, I'm acting kind of new to this game, but I'm just fresher than y'all. It's like y'all already knew my name. Yeah. So when you're smelling something stank in the air, you can bet that as the BB and Adam, they ain't there. I'm carried it raw, fish or the microphone. Give me that spray, man. I wear it like cologne. Come on. So fresh. I'm a baby out of kids. So fresh. I like the three counting your linens. So fresh. I'm a rookie on his first day. So fresh. I'm like a disinfectant house spray. So fresh. I'm an infant on a lily pad. So fresh. I'm straight out of Neutrogena ad. So fresh. I'm an early morning rainbow. So fresh. They should call us up a breeze, bro. Skippy and wool rock chop until it's all gone. Sushi with my Szechuan. Yo, throw another bib on. Put us off stage and then by George, I think they got it. Making fans out of the gamers, hackers, and the alcoholics. Mixing up all of our tonics. Got that sand of wood and soon. Supply it with that hydrated fruit if you in the mood. We're busy buzzing while you focus on decay. All that frozen dinner wrapping that you like. It wasn't meant to stay. Could he keep like with me on this beat? And Eugene's got that big style flow. He's a beast. We be those dreamers peering over the hedge. That ticket gets you all the seats. You're only needing the edge. You want to follow the trend. So you're fully aware. Well, my buddy made it happen in the middle of nowhere. And I'll do it myself when I feel like a grown up. For now, I'm fresher than a baby wrapped in a rosebud. So fresh. I'm like a baby out of kittens. So fresh. I'm like a fake cow in your lens. So fresh. I'm a rookie on the first day. So fresh. Like a disinfecting house spray. So fresh. I'm an infant on a lily pad. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Well, I've got some sexy secret things to tell you. Uh, not really too secret. I do say them at the end of every episode. But if you liked what you heard, it is imperative that you follow my every word. First, I want to thank you for listening to Nerdy Show. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com store, or, most importantly, by directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive nerdy show outtakes, dramatic readings, images, and other crazy stuff and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. But if you really want to level up, find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other nerdy show programming. Just visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store, and for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. So to recap, tell a friend, donate to the show, and connect with the entire Nerdy Show network crew online. We're glad to be your home for authentic nerdy entertainment. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 